Good morning. Let me remind you that we are still studying in the upper room teaching of Christ. This is the, the night before the crucifixion, uh, Thursday evening, and he only has his disciples around him. Someone has referred to this as being like in the school of Christ, where exclusively to these men, he's about to, to teach some profound, rich and important lessons. And uh, these are recorded uniquely by John. Uh, we don't get these anywhere else. And uh, Philip is about to pitch in with his comment at this stage. Uh, we've already heard from Thomas and Peter and, and Judas has been referred to. Uh, but Philip now has his say. And, and his point is this. He says, Lord, show us the Father uh, and that will be enough for us. Uh, you see, Jesus has just said to them uh, that if you knew me, you would have known my father. And so Philip comes in with this question. I think it's fair to say that uh, there was a lot of disappointment and probably hurt um, from the point of view of the Lord Jesus. I think there was massive disappointment here because there's a lot of feeling and pathos in his reply when he says, haven't I been a long time with you and, and still you don't know me? You still don't know what I'm like? And so what I want to do this morning is uh, pick up three things, three lessons, if you like, from uh, the School of Christ in the form of questions that I think get to the heart of uh, this passage. The first one is this, uh, is Christ enough? Uh, the second, do I know him? And then finally, could I do something great? So the first one is Christ enough. And you can see uh, the Lord Jesus looking at Philip after he asked this question and say, I mean, what do you really mean, Philip? Um, I mean, don't you remember uh, all that we've been through these last few years? I'll take you back right to the very beginning, uh, right to that wedding that we attended in Cana when I turned the water into to wine. And, and you saw my glory uh, and you believed in me along with the others. Uh, was that not enough for you? And he could have taken them through point by point. The feeding of the 5,000. What about the raising of Lazarus from the dead? Been in the tomb four days and he, he raises him. Was that not sufficient? Was that not adequate for you to, to come to the point of understanding who I am and uh, believing in me? You're not yet convinced about me despite all of that? Why do you have to ask this question about something else being required? And only if that happens, will that be enough for you? I mean, you, you can understand people who live their life without any kind of perspective of God asking questions like this, wanting more. Because, I mean, that's the very point of the, the writing in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here, here, is, here is a man who, who tries everything, looking for a sense of fulfilment and of meaning in his life. He throws himself into one experiment after another, and uh, at the end of each one of them, uh, he still is able to say that, you know, this is meaningless, and uh, I, can't, I can't see the point of life uh, under the sun. Um, and I, I think that's, that is the experience of many people in our world today. I think I probably told you uh, before 
that I spoke on the book of Ecclesiastes at the CU event once and a guy at the end of it said to me, you know, that just sums up entirely my life during my 20s. Bouncing from one thing to the other to try and fill the space and I still have a feeling of emptiness. And uh, praise God, that fellow came, came to, to know Christ and uh, to feel that he could rest in Christ and feel satisfied. Uh, which is what the person who lives with a perspective above the sun gets to. The, the tragedy, however, at times, tragedy that Philip here is expressing, is that many Christian people are effectively saying the same thing. They might not say it with their lips, but their, their, their lives are proclaiming it. They're saying that Christ is actually not enough for me. I mean, you see this actually through some of the writings in the New Testament. Uh, for instance, in the book of uh, Colossians, Paul takes this up. There have been uh, some teachers that have rolled up into town in, in Colossae, and, and they're basically saying to the, the young church, these young Christians in the first century, it's all very well, you know, you say you believe in Christ, but there are other things that are required for some sort of deeper, deeper level of Christian experience. You know, there, is, uh, there are some things as far as the worshipping of, of angels is concerned, about visions that you need to know, you have to observe special days. Uh, all of that is necessary, a sense of asceticism. And Paul won't have that. He says, no, not at all. And he has some of these tremendous um, verses from chapter 1 and 2 of Colossians where he says, uh, for instance, that in Christ, in Christ, are hidden, are resident, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, in him, the whole fullness of the Godhead bodily is, is seen. And you are complete in him. And you don't have to go chasing around looking for some other experience. You're complete in Christ, who is your sufficiency and is enough. And the book of Hebrews, of course, is very similar, highlighting the preeminence the supremacy of Christ over and above tradition and religion and culture and, and symbolism to see him by faith. Now I wonder if Philip's comment here is actually very uh, relevant to us and it pinpoints a factor uh, in, in Western Christianity and it's this. It's a failure to feel that just in Christ alone is all our sufficiency. And we don't need to be searching around, whether that is for another spiritual high experience in a religious sense, or whether it is jumping around uh, as far as what our material needs are concerned in. Philip speaks to us as far as this is concerned. Secondly, however, do I know him? This is what uh, the Lord Jesus says. Have I been such a long time with you, Philip? And, and you don't and you don't know me yet, don't know what I'm like. I think it's a great disappointment at the time it's for anyone to feel that they have never been properly understood or, or maybe badly misunderstood. And my mind went uh, to the, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You read this in Genesis chapter 50. His father Jacob has just died and his brothers who of course treated him very badly uh, get their heads together and think that it's necessary for them to come up with a letter to send to Joseph. 
just to cover all the bases. And uh, basically the letter says this, um, we realise that your brothers, I realise your brothers have not treated you well in the past. They pretended that this letter had come from Jacob. Don't take revenge. Deal kindly with them. Uh, forgive them. When, when Joseph receives this, uh, he begins to weep. And he speaks to his brothers about this. And he basically says, have you misunderstood me? Don't, don't you know what I'm like at all? Uh, don't you know me? Uh, what do you, what do you, you think I'm like? Uh, I, I forgave you long ago. Why would you think I would harbour some sort of resentment and revenge here? Um, and, and what we have here is this great sense of, of disappointment, which is exactly what we have here uh, in the Lord Jesus. Don't you know, despite everything that's happened, what kind of person I am and who I am? Why would you say this? Why would you ask this question, Philip, about me and say, show us the Father and, and that's going to be enough? Don't, don't you know me? So what does he go on to say? about himself well what he says is this in verse number 10 he says do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me and the words that i say to you i don't speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his work you look at me peter uh, you look at me philip and you see the father the father is in me and I am in the Father. Let me read to you at this point a paragraph by David Gooding uh, from his book, which is about the upper room and is called In the School of Christ. It really captures this point uh, uh, very well. Thomas and Philip have been thinking of God as being a long way off in heaven. And they now discover that the Father was, so to speak, sitting at the other side of the table, in the person of Jesus. All evening long they had been listening to Jesus' words, marvelling at their grace and their wonder, but all the while they were actually the Father's words that they were listening to. And as they had listened, they had watched Jesus' face and his expressions of love and encouragement and sorrow, but what in fact they had been watching was the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John had actually leaned on Jesus' bosom, and the love that throbbed in every heartbeat he heard was the love of God. And was that truly God, who a few moments ago had knelt at their feet and, wa and washed them? Was God really like that? Yes precisely if you see me you have seen the father there's a second maybe subsidiary point here as well when jesus says that i don't speak on my own authority these words are the father's words and yes there is the unity of the godhead the trinity the father in me i in the father the spirit who he'll speak about shortly and yet there is a kind of order within there and he takes his cue from the words that the father gives him and there are lessons there uh, as we bear the image of god as far as how we at times should take that subsidiary place to others what about knowing him then 
about really knowing him. Of course, that doesn't just talk about information. It's about knowing in a relational sense as well. To know him, as he prays in John 17, Father, that this is life eternal. This is what eternal life is, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And as Peter wrote in his first letter, sometime later, you've got to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a, an initial knowing and there is a developing, an ongoing, increasing in the experimental knowledge of Christ. And maybe we want to challenge ourselves about that. Do we really know in that sense our Lord Jesus Christ? Have we, have we come to know him and in knowing him understand what he's like? Feel his compassion? Know about his sovereign caring control of our lives? That he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother? That he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us? That he might test us at times to, to strengthen us? Uh, but his, his love is there right to, to the end in, in all its faithfulness and all its strength. Are we meeting with Christ in his word and growing in our understanding personally of what he is like? That's that second great lesson in the school of Christ. Now finally, could I do something great? That's taken really from the words of verse 12 where he says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. As the schools have gone back uh, this week, I think we all understand the importance of, of education and, and potential in young people, uh, fulfilling their ambitions of, uh, of achieving something important in life, maybe even something great in life. I think for many of us, you know, the the cold water of reality has uh, made us under, uh, understand that we are just normal, ordinary people and that only a very few are maybe stamped with greatness. But that might be true, but there is a sense in which there is open to us, as Christ has said here, that we can all do something great. And, and he says, of course, in quite an unusual way and he says that greater works than these will you do great greater works than christ we know all the works that christ did can i do greater works than christ well what, what does that mean well i think there's a couple of uh, points to take into consideration i think first of all it's talking about greater in in, in the sense of greater in extent uh, greater in scope and so Christ was speaking to a living man at this point. His ministry never went without the bounds of, of one very small nation. And yet, as far as the extent of what potentially the, the church of God can achieve, you know, they went to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, that's still open to us. But uh, it's not just extent that is being talked about. There is, there's, I think, something deeper here because he's talking about going to the Father. And then he's going to talk about, just a few verses later, about sending the Helper, 
the, the Spirit of God who would not just be uh, with them or alongside them, but would be resident within them and indwell the people of God and empower and help them in a tremendous way. And we just have to see the, the contrast between Peter now and at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to see the kind of difference and how on that one occasion over 3,000 people are converted. Uh, something that maybe didn't even happen during the course of the life of Christ. And we can see how the effect of the power of the Spirit of God coming is the thing that is going to make such a massive difference. And, and the thing that really specifically is being mentioned here is prayer. You'll do greater works and it's prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that. I'm going to the Father. I'll send the Spirit and he will help you as far as prayer is concerned. And Romans 8 teaches us that times, you know, we're lost, we're, we're foundering around and, 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 and we don't know what to pray for as we, as we ought. And, and yet the Spirit of God helps us. And with a sense of intensity, with groanings, it says, that can't be expressed, the Holy Spirit is praying for us and helping us in directing our prayers to Christ. And that is, the, that is the great thing that we can be involved in here. The great task of involving ourselves in prayer. We can do great things through prayer. Now, I have to say to you that this is not a kind of carte blanche type of thing here. There, there is not a magic formula. That's not what it means when it says, you know, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we tag on the name of Jesus at the end of a prayer and that's an automatic guarantee that that prayer will be uh, answered positively. Of course, that, that, that doesn't mean that at all. When it, when it talks about praying in my name, what it means there is that the name carries the whole idea of the, of the character of the person. And so we pray on the basis of the character of Christ, of who he is, his, his righteousness, and of what he has done uh, when, he, when he died upon the cross and then rose again. Our prayers are, are founded on the person and on the work of Christ. That's what it means when we say we pray in the name of Christ. And of course the point that's being made here is this. That um, my father might be glorified. So that is a qualifier to the prayers that we make as well. And First uh, John picks up on this actually when he says in chapter 5, fairly similarly to this, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now that's not a contradiction or a cop-out, but it's helping us to understand really what is meant by praying in the name of Christ. Interestingly, in First John, there are a lot of the points that are initially spoken and taught here in the upper room ministry that are developed in that letter. So we are very restricted in what we can do at the moment uh, in the church because uh, of the particular crisis we're in just now, but we can pray. And by praying, we can reach out to individuals and situations far beyond ourselves and change them. It's like the incident with Moses and his brothers. Uh, the battle with the Amalekites is going on and his hands grow weary and as they fall down the battle goes badly. 
But as he's supported in prayer and his hands are kept high, things change and they succeed and the battle goes well. And and so there's this challenge for us. The Lord says you can do great things for your family, for your neighbours, for this nation of ours and this city of ours if we commit ourselves to coming to Christ in prayer in the power of God's Spirit who dwells within us. So what lessons there are here for us today from, from the school of Christ? Tremendous questions for us to take to heart about the sufficiency of Christ being enough for us and about coming to know Christ as Saviour and Lord and growing in that and about doing something great by committing ourselves to believing prayer. May God bless his word to all our hearts today as we learn these lessons from the school of Christ and and let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord, thank you for the privilege of, in a sense, being in the school of Christ and listening to his teaching and trying to apply it to our own hearts. We, we just pray for everyone who's tuned in and listened to this today and help us to take these things to heart. Uh, we pray for, for those who are uh, bereaved, particularly among ourselves, that a sense of your comfort will sustain them. Those who are anxious and concerned about health and family, that uh, a real sense of your love and your presence and your promises uh, will become particularly precious to them. And for our city, with everything that's happened, Lord, we pray that a sense of of the awareness of your love, that people will, will be drawn to that. And in a sense that they will come to understand the light of your love in a way that they have never considered before in the Gospel of Christ. So we pray for our city. And we pray for our wider nation that there might be an awakening uh, to the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, hear our prayers today as we give our thanks and commit ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.